All children, except one, grow up. They soon know that they will grow up. And the way Wendy knew was this. One day, when she was two years old, she was playing in a garden, and she plucked another flower and ran with it to her mother. I suppose she must have looked rather delightful, for Mrs. Darling put her hand to her heart and cried, Oh, why can't you remain like this forever? This was what this was all that passed between them on the subject. But henceforth, Wendy knew that she must grow up. Welcome once again to Type This Cast, the podcast where we take a closer look at our favorite stories through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Janelle, and as you can hear, my voice is attempting to desert me. And I'm Becky, and I am so glad that you have joined us. In this episode, we'll be following those famous directions, second star to the right, and straight on till morning, as we look at J.M. Barry's Peter Pan. But before we fly away, Becky, do you have any thoughts about where we left off in our last episode on Pride and Prejudice? I have so many thoughts, Janelle. (laughs) Um, Mostly just I've been thinking a lot about the way that we disagreed on them and how, for me, that was incredibly shocking. Uh Because as I looked at those characters, they were precisely the types that I had seen. Like Mm. Darcy is 100% a five and Lizzie is 100% hundred percent and eight mm-hmm. um but you know as you brought up your salient points and your perspective on it i was like oh i suppose like i can see that i definitely see darcy as a one more than i see lizzie as a four mm-hmm. i still don't think that's what's motivating her mm-hmm. um but i was just really intrigued by just those conversations and the ways that maybe I have boxed in some of my understandings of the different Enneagram numbers. And Mm. so it's just opening my eyes to what we talk about all the time as like the different hues, the variations in color, in type, in style that can be within the same number. Um, And I've just found this process to be really exciting, even more than what I thought. Mm -hmm. We're just illuminating not just the characters that I love, but like, what these types are and what they can look like and just learning about myself and other people through this project, which has been really cool. How about you, Janelle? Yeah. um, So I have thought especially about, um, about Mrs. Bennett and just Mm. the Mm -hmm. world in which she inhabits and the, this, the spaces that she was limited to. Sure. Um, gosh, there's just so much there that I know there's, you know, the, the perspective of Pride and Prejudice from, from Mary's um, mm. perspective, the novel that just came out recently. I'm interested in Called that. Mary B, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds interesting, but there's part of me that wants to, I'd love to dive into more of what, what actually is going on for Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. Oh gosh, yeah. Just because there's so much for, I mean, Mr. Bennett. We, we assume he's a five. And so there's so much privately happening inside of mm-hmm. him that he doesn't share even with his favorite daughter, Lizzie. Um, mm. But just this is sort of silly and fanficy, but my mind has been going to the 
you know, what was their courtship actually like? That's just what happened in my brain as you were saying that. Yeah. I was like writing their courtship uh-huh. as we spoke. Because you get that little picture of it, right? Yeah. Where she talks about loving officers. Mm-hmm. And then, but he's really talking about he saw her as beautiful and exciting and thought she was a specific person Mm -hmm. because he was putting her in a box. Not unlike we type people, right? Exactly. Like this idea. And then she wasn't who he thought she was because he didn't actually get to know her. But that's that small picture we have. So I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, I like your pet project (laughs) in your brain right now. I want to know their story. Yeah. Because we get such a limited view. And also what you're bringing up with Mrs. Bennett, like that societal perspective Mm -hmm. especially the pressures on her as a woman in the only space she had Mm -hmm. not to mention without money so like everything that was really motivating her life Mm -hmm. was that fear of houselessness that fear of being bereft and alone and like having children to feed um Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, totally. Well, and thinking also about the way in which she's handled in Lizzie Bennet diaries, it's mm. it's still a difficult space, mm-hmm. and it's. I think that's partially because, while I believe that women are still boxed into those spaces mm-hmm. today, we have more freedom, and so seeing someone who's actively living out of that, mm-hmm. um, as Lizzie says in the Lizzie Bennet diaries. Uh, 2.5 WPF club. Yes. Um, it feels, it just feels wonkier to use a very unscientific term. Um, well, okay. And You're going to open a can of worms with that. Uh, by the way, everybody who is listening to this, if you have not watched the fantabulous YouTube series, The Lizzie Bennett Diaries, stop what you're doing, open YouTube, type in Lizzie Bennett Diaries, start with episode one. There are 100 episodes. You're welcome, worlds. And they're wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I, what I was thinking is like that is completely what we're talking about is completely the point of Mrs. Bennett's portrayal mm-hmm. in the Lizzie Bennett diaries. And they are pointing out that she is kind of this trope yeah. and this exaggeration mm-hmm. and especially the way it happens on Lizzie Bennett and some of the realizations that come is they are specifically dealing with that. So I... I can't recommend that adaptation enough. Totally. The things they do to challenge basically everything we kind of talked about, about these characters. Uh-huh. Um, and just like thoughtfully bringing it into this century in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, it's really crunchy. Like I just want to dig my teeth into all of the like different nuances in yeah. that story. All those choices that they made. Heck yeah. Um, so... Now that we've spent a little time recapping Pride and Prejudice. Hey, Becky. Hey, Janelle. You want to give our listeners a quick overview of what Peter Pan's all about? Well, I would love to go to Neverland with our listeners. And lucky for me, that's what we're doing today. Yay. Um, so just in case there is anyone out there in our listening audience who does not know the story of Peter Pan, it is the story... Of the Darling Children, Wendy, John, and Michael, and their adventures with the strange, tragic boy who refuses to grow up. They fly away to the magical island of Neverland, where they see pirates, mermaids, and Indians. Oh my! And don't forget about that ever-ticking crocodile 
following a certain villainous <gasps> Captain James Hook of Eton. We will talk more about that later. We certainly will. This book captures so amazingly that strange and wonderful, and by wonderful, I mean like full of wonder <laughs> and lovely landscape of a child's imagination. And it was a huge part of my childhood. Um, I played one of Tiger Lily's Braves in my first stage appearance in elementary school. And the ride at Disneyland has been a long favorite of mine. Um, We even jointly made a pilgrimage to Peter Pan's statue in the Kensington Gardens in London. We sure did. And I uh, have to admit to you... While we were viewing said statue in Kensington Gardens and looking for lost boys in Kensington Gardens, um, I was doing my master's degree at the time in popular literature, and I went into a deep, deep dive study of Peter Pan, uh, writing one of probably my favorite academic papers I've ever written, Mm -hmm. looking at this idea of childhood and challenges to childhood. Uh, that I'll talk about a little more as we go on. But I have gone deep into theoretic study and love of this story, every film adaptation, musical, Mm -hmm. everything. Um, So some of that will come up. But if any of you are interested in going to crazy, interesting places with Peter Pan, hit me up. I love talking Peter Pan with folks. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's get down to business and let's uh, look at what we think the types might be for the limited selection of characters on which we chose to focus. Um, So a slight caveat before we do that. I want to clarify that we limited ourselves for this to looking only at the text of the novel Peter and Wendy, though there is also Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens, which I love. It's Peter's sort of origin story, how he became Peter Pan. Um, Additionally, we're limiting the number of characters that we are looking at this episode to just four. Mm -hmm. We've realized, as you have probably realized in the past few episodes, that by looking at so many characters, we uh, are verbose and go on, (laughs) but also that we're just not able to spend the time we really want to look closely at the ways the Enneagram impacts our understanding of the story ourselves and each other and that's really what we're here for so we're going to try to limit the characters we look at uh if you are disappointed that we don't look at any characters just email us tweet at us instagram us whatever you want to do and we'll uh get to those characters we oh i'm sure we will um so and then just a brief reminder for those of you playing along at home Uh, We want to recap the different monikers we're working with, uh, with the short I statements for each of the Enneagram types. So here we go. All right. Type one, we've called the reformer. I do everything the right way. Type two, we've called the befriender. I help others. Type three, the motivator. I am seen as successful. Type four, the romantic. I am unique or I have uniquity, as I like to say. TM Becky Hope. (laughs) Type five, the observer. I need to understand the world. Mm. Type six, the guardian. I need to be secure. Type seven, the enthusiast. I am happy and open to new things. 
Type 8, The Challenger, I Must Be Strong. And Type 9, The Peacemaker, I Am Agreeable. Just remember, do not type people in your life. If you're wondering why we call that particularly a party foul, go listen to our very first episode, episode 0.5, for our little introduction on us and the Enneagram. Uh, Before we jump into looking at these characters, I did want to say something about a unique challenge that this specific text posed as I tried to pin down the types for these characters. Y'all, they're kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really difficult to type kids. Um, Most Enneagram experts will caution you against thinking of your children as any specific Enneagram type because... They're still children, folks, and they're developing into who they will become, and that makes it really difficult. So Mm -hmm. as we've said before, only the person themselves can nail down their type because only they know their motivation. So don't do it. And as another aside, if you are a parent who's trying to like figure out how to be a good parent, don't sort of parent your children to the types that you think they are. Mm Mm-hmm. Parent them from the type that you are. So if you are a two, be the best, healthiest two. Use those things as opposed to being like, well, if I think my child's a four, let me treat them like they are an emotional, unique person, which Mm -hmm. I mean, do that anyway, I guess. But don't do it specifically to that child. Well, and one of the things that I think I've appreciated most about the Enneagram in in thinking through it for myself and my adult relations um, and and also thinking about people in general is one of the reasons you don't want to type people is you don't want to deprive them of of finding that for themselves uh-huh. and you also there's so much more to be gained in just healthy relationships when you treat everyone with curiosity mm-hmm. when you approach each person as the individual that they are instead of assuming that they fit into this mold as we were just yeah. talking about with with mr and mrs bennett yeah curiosity is one of my favorite words as far as like relationships go especially mm-hmm. if you're just curious listening getting to know the other person without already having assumed you know all the things about them yeah see lizzie and darcy pride and prejudice because uh-huh. <laughs> that is all they do yes um yeah like i just i love that totally okay all right so it's time for the lightning round let's type this cast all right peter seven four I, I okay. I saw both of those yeah. and I vacillated between both of those, so I'm not firm, but I have stuck with four. That's fair. <laughs> I I have yes. Okay, we'll talk about it. Sorry. Yeah. Lightning round. Yes. Wendy. Two. Two. D- we'll talk about that. Yes. Tinkerbell. Uh, three. Four. We'll talk about that. Yes, we will. And Captain James Hook. Eight. One. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's not one of the... T- okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I see it. Okay. I think, I think I see where you're going with that. <laughs> well, there's a lot for us to defend, it sounds like. So, shall we dive in? Let's. Tell me, Becky, why Peter is a four. Okay. Before I give my defense, I want to say what we just did. But, like, I have half and half. Like, half the quotes I have are four. Half the quotes I have are seven. Um... What's really 
interesting that really swayed me Mm -hmm. that maybe should not have. Mm. Um, The text that I have has both Peter and Kensington Gardens and Peter and Wendy in it in that order. And so I read them and I didn't realize I was like halfway through Peter and Kensington Gardens once again. And then I was like, oh, right. We weren't going to do this one. (laughs) Um, But when you get Peter's origin story, Mm. it is a four's origin story. Yeah. Everything is about emotion and melancholy and not fitting in. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really swayed me. Mm -hmm. But then I kind of like, as much as I could, like wiped my brain clean, Uh read Peter and Wendy, and I still saw it. So much of it. And then I saw the seven space, though. Mm -hmm. But my thought with that is that a lot of that seven space felt like childhood to me. Mm. It felt like, you know, every kid's like, oh, I want to do this thing. Oh, I want to do this thing. An adventure. Yeah. And as I started thinking more deeply about it, the way he spins adventure, a Mm -hmm. lot of it is coming from, I think, this emotional, I don't fit, I am not enough space Mm. is where I was coming from with that. Additionally, so... um. In both Peter and Kensington Gardens and in Peter and Wendy, he is referred to by the titles A Strange Boy, mm-hmm. The Tragic Boy, mm-hmm. and then my favorite term that I used for ages to call myself, a betwixt and between. Ah. Um, and tied to that, there like it's so hard to separate yourself right from the world you live in. There is the societal, even psychological understanding of that like Peter Pan syndrome of, of sorts that like never growing up and it's always this like emotional like stunted mm. doesn't fit in doesn't know where they fit in the world so they just choose not to grow up yeah and that just feels like four space coming mm. from a four who has said a bajillion times I just want to <laughs> go to Neverland um so uh, that's sort of my thought background mm-hmm. but one of the quotes that really stuck with me comes at the very end of Peter and Wendy as they are back from Mm. Neverland. And it says, There could not have been a lovelier sight, but there was none to see it but a strange boy who was staring in at the window. He had ecstasies innumerable that other children can never know, but he was looking through the window at the one joy from which he must forever be buried. Buried. Barred. I ruined that. (laughs) Can we redo that? Let's redo that. Okay. Can we? Yeah. Cut. We'll fix it in post. Cut from, we'll look at the time, but from just like right before I started reading that quote, because that quote matters and I want to. Yes. Okay. There could not have been a lovelier sight, but there was none to see it but a strange boy who was staring in at the window. He had ecstasies innumerable that other children can never know, but he was looking through the window at the one joy from which he must for be forever barred. So that, I mean, just encapsulates the experience of a four. Mm-hmm. Uh, sitting in four space, <laughs> you know, the way that I so often experience the world is what a lot of people describe as like that looking in through the window, mm-hmm. always feeling like I'm like with my face on the window watching things happen that I am not a part of because I don't know how to fit. I don't know what do actual people do? Mm -hmm. And like Peter's whole life has been spent trying to be a real boy, find what it means to be a real boy and fit because he was, you know, barred literally Mm -hmm. from his 
mom from getting back to her. Yeah. And that is sort of this scarring childhood trauma that devotes everything he does so he runs away he's never going to go back because he Mm -hmm. will never fit no one will ever want him Mm -hmm. and then throughout life he has this self-fulfilling prophecy right where no one will ever want him so he becomes more and more different Mm -hmm. and sees it as something he is outside of Mm -hmm. the irony of this specific quote is that the darlings would adopt him and he had just been invited to and he said no because he wanted to have adventures Mm -hmm. but to me that's like the Mm cover-up like no i'm I don't fit. I do so many beautiful things that you can't even understand, Mm -hmm. which is also the life of a four. And the irony of that is everyone wants in. Mm -hmm. Like that's why everyone wants to fly to Neverland with him because they want those adventures. They want the emotion. Um, Also, one of Peter's main roles in people's minds is that he accompanies children who have died so that they are not frightened Mm -hmm. and just a four being able to what's described as like sit Shiva to sit in pain with people Mm -hmm. and that like without expectation without needing to fix you just like so you are no longer scared or so that you have someone that understands um so all that to say Mm -hmm. I love Peter yes and therefore I claim him as my own (laughs) he is a four all right well I I I understand because I definitely saw some fourish tendencies and it was it was a bit difficult to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. I think for me what I saw more often in him was the pain avoidance that a four would not do. Mm-hmm. A four would sit in it. Mm-hmm. And so that just that showed me what we've talked about so much that strange connection between seven and yeah. fours that I see in the sevens and fours in my mm-hmm. life but you know at a glance on paper fours and sevens look like the most opposite numbers mm-hmm. on the enneagram yeah no i love sevens i feel so connected to them i think fours yeah. and sevens are close to the same thing oh very <laughs> close um and except so, that they're not well yes um and so for me um yeah especially noticing the ways in which he ardently avoids pain mm-hmm. um I'm going to use both of my quotations for Peter. That's fine. Just I talked a lot. <laughs> um, one of them is simply the the seven always looking forward to the next thing, mm-hmm. and um, and getting bored with the current thing, even if it's good. Um, so here you go. But about this time, Peter invented, with Wendy's help, a new game that fascinated him enormously. Until he suddenly had no more interest in it, which, as you have been told, was what always happened with his games. So it's just, ooh, yeah, this is fun. Nope, not fun anymore. Moving on. Um, But I think for me, this one, this is, it's actually talking about the Lost Boys, but I think it speaks so much of of Peter's pain avoidance. Mm. It's... It was only in Peter's absence that they could speak of mothers, the subject being forbidden by him as silly. And that's just a sev- such a, it sounded like such a seven's way to deal with that is painful. It's silly. We can't talk about it anymore. Or is it a four thinking it's such a mundane topic? He doesn't want to talk about it. He wants to do things that are far more beautiful and exciting. Well, but you also have to factor into it the story that we know of Peter. Yeah. In that he has this pain of having lost his mother. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's oh, it's crunchy. Mm-hmm. This... No, I take your point and I 
I used that for my defense as a seven two, but like, yeah. I just saw how like all of those could be fourish too. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't and mean to interrupt. No, you're good. I think for me, I'll admit, as is the case with, you know, a lot of the stories we'll be looking at because of my familiarity with the adaptations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Ian and Suzanne said about sevens in the road back to you sorry ian cron and suzanne stabile i don't know them personally so i can't just use their first names um they they talk about the sevens talk style Mm -hmm. and it just reminds me so much of you know mary martin or or the disney adaptation where it's well here you go Because their talk style is storytelling, they can keep a group on the edge of their seats while they excitedly act out a story of something that happened to them. And Peter's going on adventures, which half of them he forgets, Mm -hmm. but the others he comes back with his head bandaged and Wendy doesn't know for sure if it was actually an adventure, but something happened and he's bedazzling them all with this story. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. um, those are some of the things that really... stuck out to me also you're right there's the difficulty in typing this this child Mm -hmm. who he says all i want to be is a little boy and to have fun but i see how that could be coming from someone who has experienced so much pain that they're Mm -hmm. just trying to run away from that Mm -hmm. both sevenishly and also the four side of things Mm -hmm. not being able to fit in and so forcing and enforcing their uniquity Yeah, he said no one can look like him. Yeah. No one's allowed to dress like him. Mm -hmm. No one's allowed to think things he doesn't think. Exactly. Or know things that he doesn't know. Yeah, because that's like that shame insecurity that force feel. You automatically go to shame. Mm -hmm. So you feel like people are seeing how you don't know things. You don't fit in. Mm -hmm. But it's also that like seven-ish, like when Wendy is possibly dead. Yeah. Right? That part where he is... He says, like, the quote is, like, he wants to immediately run away and never come back to that spot ever again. Ever again. But he realizes that there's more than just him involved. And he cares. He has empathy for the other people. And he wants to know what happened. He wants that justice. Yeah. So that one's a little bit confusing, too. But, like, you just see... I love having these conversations because I'm like, yes, to both of those. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, he's a seven. Yeah, he's a four. I don't know. But like as a four, Uh (laughs) I love big, fun, adventure, emotion that creates a huge story that I can tell later Mm -hmm. that I can bring everyone into the experience with me because now they're understanding me by me being able to tell them the story and bring them into the experience. Mm -hmm. So... But that's what sevens do, right? Yeah. And like the famous quote to die would be an awfully big adventure. Yeah. Right. Is that a seven spinning death or a four like sitting in this space? space. And the interesting thing with that one is, and that helped me lean seven words Mm. also, was because it's just after this shiver of fear has run through him. Mm -hmm. And unlike it's described in this beautiful way that unlike the shivers in the waves of the ocean it doesn't keep going he stops it Mm -hmm. and he faces to die would be an awfully big adventure Mm -hmm. and it's just oh it it could be easily Mm -hmm. either i just yeah before before the shiver goes through him the thing that made me see that as for space Uh (laughs) is um it says peter was not quite like other boys 
Mm. But he was afraid at last. Yeah. Like he he doesn't normally feel fear. Like he feels like he should, like other people do. Uh-huh. But now he's afraid at last. Yeah. And then to die would be an awfully big adventure. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's making the story beautiful. Uh-huh. There's part of me that thinks that the hard part is we don't know other than in Peter and Kensington Gardens, you know, what... And that's really what swayed me. Is yeah. Is having the way that you were thinking about the adaptations mm-hmm. and that very seven-ish perspective. Whereas, like, Peter and Kensington Gardens, he is a four. It even says he is given identity through thinking about a poet. Yeah. Like, that he got a dollar from a poet and he didn't want... To use it for, like, money's sake, because that's too mundane. So he makes a boat out of it and floats it, so it's something beautiful. Uh And I was like, you're such a four. Oh, gosh. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely... um, But that's outside of the purview of what we're going to do. Definitely. But the uh, what I was going to say with that is the difficulty is, you know, we don't know, has Peter sat often with the thought of to die would be an awfully big adventure, Mm -hmm. or was that just... just... A new adventure. Yeah. A new thought. A new... Yeah. And which is very indicative of Peter because he always has new thoughts. And like mm-hmm. that's, if you go to the very end, he even forgets to come back. Yeah. Because he's so busy having fun adventures. And he's completely forgotten his arch nemesis. Yeah. By the end of the book. Yep. Because once I once they're dead, I forget about them. Yep. And that's very, like, again, I think we I said this last week, but like Seven's being terrible at social media. Yeah. Because like the thing is done. Why do I want to post about it? Yeah. Like it's, it's done. You you weren't there. I'll tell you a story about it later, though. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So why don't you start Wendy this time since I started Peter? So what do you think about Wendy Darling? Oh, Wendy Moira Angela Darling well. is similarly to some of my difficulties with with typing. Some of the ladies in Pride and Prejudice is society of the time dictated to a certain degree that women act this way. And Wendy is fulfilling these very two-ish roles. I did say she was a two, but one of the things that that was difficult for me or that made me want to not land on two, I'll put it that way, was the fact that even with the quotations I pulled, they're all during the times that they are in this world of make-believe. There are two things that she does when she is not actively in make-believe space, but some of the... Because of the way in which Peter runs the Lost Boys and captains the world and makes sure that everyone stays in this game of make-believe with him, it's difficult to say, you know, would Wendy be doing this? When she's, Mm -hmm. when she gets to choose her own, you know, her own options. Um, But that being said, this is my primary um, resource, if you will, for Wendy being a two. Wendy's favorite time for sewing and darning was after they had all gone to bed. Then, as she expressed it, she had a breathing time for herself and she occupied it in making new things for them and putting double pieces on the knees, for they were almost frightfully hard on their knees. 
When she sat down to a basketful of their stockings, every heel with a hole in it, she would fling up her arms and exclaim, Oh dear, I am sure sometimes I think spinsters are to be envied. Her face beamed when she exclaimed this. And it's that joy that she finds in in helping those she cares about, in, in a, doing for the people she loves. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That felt so two-ish. There is one thing that I will let you say your piece and I'll come back to if we have time okay. for Wendy, um, that also felt very, very two-ish when they don't receive the recognition for the things that they've done. Mm-hmm. I know what quote you're talking about, and I'm not going to use it. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I will additionally caveat this. Um, so, sometimes when we do literary study, there's a perspective uh, where we talk about death of the author, where we don't want to think about what were the author's intentions, what mm-hmm. was he trying to do with this. Um, it's hard for me to do that with Peter Pan, because so much is obvious that Barry is trying to push back on these concepts of what a child is, what childhood is, and this sort of commodification of Mm -hmm. childhood that had started in the Victorian era up to when he wrote this in the Edwardian era. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe firmly that what he is doing with these main characters we're looking at is challenge a lot of the tropes of gender and sexuality in particular. Mm -hmm. And so what's complicated about Wendy is he is painting a picture of what domesticity and femininity is supposed to be by cultural standards, but he's poking fun at it and saying like, look at how ridiculous this is at her fulfilling all of these roles as a child in make-believe even her games like her imagination is an orphaned wolf cub in neverland that she takes care of even in her imagined world she is caretaking to earn love finding that abandoned poor wounded puppy um which i love by the way let's be clear that's just that's beautiful but i think also this is going to get into some of the other characters, but like Wendy is that trope of the perfect feminine, domestic, wifely, motherly, the role of mother she plays choice. Whereas like Tink is this more sexualized, aggressive version of femininity. Even as far as being described as. Right. En bon point, uh-huh. which means curvy, folks. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's curvy. She's wearing things that accentuate her figure mm-hmm. and all of that. And then you have hook which is a whole other conversation to be had but hook who is the adult who did not get to be a child because he's an adult in the period where childhood was first allowed to exist Mm -hmm. so he covets the childhood of peter pan Mm -hmm. and so we have well i'll talk about this more later but like uber masculinity covering up some of these other sides of himself yeah um anyway all that to say Making Wendy this version of femininity, mm-hmm. like, obviously she's a two, right? Yeah. Like, because she's doing all the things that twos do because women are twos. Women are caretakers. They are emotional. They are martyrs for themselves, for the love of others, for the good of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that that's a bad thing and it that it's always, like, at your own expense when you're self-aware. But I just think... It made typing Wendy both really easy and made me kind of go... Grr. 
yeah. every time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the things, so the quote that I use to support her two-ness mm-hmm. that I really love because it shows some of the um, nuances in a two, mm-hmm. um, it happens actually before she's in Neverland. Okay. So it's uh, Wendy understood And she was just slightly disappointed when he, Peter, admitted that he came to the nursery window not to see her, but to listen to her stories. Don't go, Peter, she entreated. I know such lots of stories. So what happens is Wendy has actually a lot of self-awareness in that moment that twos often struggle to find Mm. but she sees like she was disappointed because peter didn't actually want her Mm. or care about her for who she was Mm -hmm. he just wanted what she could provide for him his story her stories from her mother Mm -hmm. but then she sees that he's going to leave her so she uses that thing that she knows he wants her for to keep him around and now it is sort of been that self-fulfilling prophecy of her worth is in what she can do for others. Mm -hmm. So she gives him those stories and that's what gets him to bring her to Neverland. Mm -hmm. Her stories and that she could be a mother for these boys and tell stories and take care of them. And pockets. Yes. Well, also pockets are very important. Yes. Um, But she could do the sewing. She could read them bedtime stories. She could provide, you know, he has nightmares and she holds him Mm -hmm. and comforts him and does all of these things. Um, so like you see this in Wendy again and again and again, that it's always like for everyone else. There's a moment where she's afraid and she doesn't say anything. She doesn't wake anyone else because they needed their sleep. So she's cowering in fear. But the narrator says, poking fun at this thing that's expected of women. Mm -hmm. Isn't she brave? Isn't Wendy brave? Aren't you proud of her? Mm -hmm. Says the narrator. And to me, I was like, whoa, no, I'm not. I see. I get it. Like she's expected to not speak up as a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, to let the men sleep because that's what they need. And she's caring for their needs Mm -hmm. and it's just unhealthy. So um, I know I said a lot there that went all over the map, but I, uh, yeah, so Wendy is a two. I think she has healthy moments. I think you see how she cares for people well mm-hmm. and how she sort of changes Peter's way of viewing mothers, though it doesn't in the end. Yeah. But like he even forgets some of those things. So um, yeah, so you had another point that you wanted to bring up. Yeah, just one last thing. It's um, when, as I said, something that she has done um, for Peter gets overlooked and... Well, here you go. But for the moment, Wendy was shocked. You conceited boy, she exclaimed with frightful sarcasm. Of course, I did nothing. And it's that space where in unhealth, twos can be so desirous of being needed by others and the love they want from the others by... by or the love they try to get from from people by doing things for them. And then when it's denied her, she just responds in that space of... Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting, too, that it's sarcasm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that from, from one so young. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that also, as much as I say that, that shows some of the unhealth because of what she was hoping to get from that interaction, it also shows health because she was able to speak it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit passive aggressive with the sarcasm, mm-hmm. but she was able to actually speak out and say, hey, 
I just did something pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And and it's almost asking for what she needs, mm-hmm. which twos don't often do. They just, they struggle with that. I don't yeah. want to say they don't do it. No. But-, but the saying, like, I did this for you because I care about you. Mm-hmm. How dare you not address it? Because also there is that, like, twos feel loved by doing things for others because they you know, it's that thing we, I was just talking about. They don't feel in and of themselves a lot of the time. Like, that's the lie, right? Yeah. In and of themselves, they're not worthy of love. But if they provide for the needs of others, mm-hmm. which twos are very good at empathy because yeah. of that, they sense the needs of others or what others want from them or expect from them. Mm-hmm. And they do it because they want to give everything away to make you feel loved so that maybe then you'll give that back. Yeah. And then when people don't, it feels awful and unhealthy. And sometimes pa- they do the passive aggressive sarcastic thing that Wendy did. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm sure I didn't do anything for you. It was all about you. Yeah. Whereas Peter's just already moved on. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So moving on to Tinkerbell, would you like to give us the reasons why you think she's a three? <sighs> yes. So, okay. I will start this one similar to Peter. I went back and forth a lot with Tink. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, once again, the thing that decided me is outside of our text, Uh-oh. but it's the origin story, which, by the way, she's not in, yeah. but fairies are in. Okay. So maybe I'm typecasting. Uh-oh. You're typing a whole species, Becky? Look, look, they're not all the same. I understand. We are all our own people with, like, really unique spaces and hues, and we can be our own people. However... She fulfills some of these things. Um, So I'm going to start with my quote uh, and then I'll talk about it. Um, So right when we first meet Tink, it says, in the time that we have taken to say this, it has been all it has been in all the drawers in the nursery looking for Peter's shadow, rummaged the wardrobe and turned every pocket inside out. It was a girl called Tinkerbell exquisitely gowned in a skeleton leaf cut low and square through which her figure could be seen to the best advantage. Um, So I think this is a really good just sort of summary of who Tink is as a person slash fairy. Um, She finds her worth by doing. She finds her worth by like accomplishing what other people need and just being successful. Peter needs to find his shadow. Well, as we've been talking about Peter wanting his shadow, she's already checked all the places. Mm. You know, she's accomplishing this. Mm -hmm. And because she deeply wants Peter's love, stupid Peter who notices nothing. Yeah. You stupid ass. Uh, Silly ass. Silly ass. Sorry. (laughs) That was my words. Um, But like also along with that success drive, there is this like image drive Mm. in a three like what people see me as and perceive me as Mm -hmm. and along with what we just said about wendy a successful woman in the domestic realm there's also this element of like achieving through desire Mm. right through Mm -hmm. that side of things so tink is always very alluring she has her skeleton leaf cut low giving off the best part of her Mm -hmm. her curviness but it's not just sexuality i'm not trying to say that it's like 
I look the best to you like this. Yes. I am doing things for you, Peter, that you need. Mm-hmm. Not dissimilar to Wendy, but like I know more about what he needs because I've actually been around him, mm-hmm. which is why the other side, what I thought she might also be was an eight, mm-hmm. where it's like when she's not desired, man, does she go after you? Kill the Wendy bird. Yes. Um, but I just saw that as that image. There's also like when her uh, apartment is described, it's all about image. And it's like she's always mm. proprietous. She shuts the curtain mm-hmm. so that they don't see her changing because that would be improprietous. Um, and so she, uh, you know, but is always still sort of winking at them, wanting them to come to her to ask her to do that because she can do things the most successfully. Um, so yeah, I just really saw her as a three and it, like I said, in Peter and Kensington Gardens, there's a description of all the fairies always looking busy, though they may not know what they're doing, but they have to look busy and successful and achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. So, uh, there's more to say about her rages. I think her rages come when someone has undermined her image Mm. or her success. Uh, I could argue those but i don't want to keep going on with this uh-huh. uh, i want to hear your perspective on her as a four yeah uh and then maybe i'll come back and respond to you okay sounds good that's fair um so i too um wavered within the heart triad a bit mm-hmm. because of her connection to peter yeah um absolutely and so i i can i can see some of the three nature mm-hmm. there i think her i also wondered about the eightness because mm-hmm. of the ways in which she yeah tries to get the lost boys to kill wendy mm-hmm. although i think an eight wouldn't resort to someone else doing their dirty work mm-hmm. um so that's when i sort of shied away from the eight yeah um there's can i, can I can, keep going sorry okay I'll, I'll talk at the end i just that was i have a point on that okay um there's the um do um so one of the things that we've talked about actually is sort of describing some of my nine space is the way in which Tinkerbell is described with her emotions um and it's she has such big emotions, but she she's so small, she can only have one at a time. And so to me, there's this, while fours have such a wide range of emotion, there's this limitation because of her species and because of her size that limits the the emotion at a time. But that's not to say she doesn't change emotions quickly. It's just that she has large emotions. Mm. Um, And she does become consumed by them. She does live in that emotional space when they are there. Um, So that's one of the things that led me to four initially. And actually it's interesting that you bring up her boudoir because that's my, one of the things along with another quotation from Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile from The Road Back to You, their very top of the list of what it's like to be a four is, I like things that are unconventional, dramatic, and refined. I'm definitely not a fan of the ordinary. And the description of her boudoir lists 
Oh, it's just, it's so beautiful. No woman, however large, could have had a more exquisite boudoir and bedchamber combined. The couch, as she always called it, was a genuine Queen Mab, with club legs, and she varied the bedspreads according to what fruit blossom was in season. Her mirror was Puss in Boots, of which there are now only three, unshipped, known to the fairy dealers. There's more that goes on to the, the origins of these very refined and unique things that mm-hmm. exist in her space and the differences between her space and the rest of the house. That's fair. Um, the other thing, too, is the... Um, oh, here it is. There was a chandelier from Tiddlywinks for the look of the thing, but of course she lit the residence herself. I love that, too. Yes, it is. it is a bit... I can see some three wing nature there with the way that it's for the look of it, but it's also setting up that environment Mm. and Mm -hmm. making her world the way she wants it to be. Um, Like Peter with all of his trees being perfect and his space being perfect. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The, uh, yeah, and just also the description of, of the fact that she was contemptuous of the rest of the house and the way that it looked, because it wasn't nearly as as beautiful or as unique as hers. Okay. Um, Sorry, continue. No, that's that's fine. The, um, the other thing um, was also just that, yeah, I I didn't... Necess- there's I think there's enough in the way she interacts with Wendy that I don't see as being three space because a three even in unhealth would still try to win Wendy over from my understanding of them and there's just sort of this this contempt that she and that's also that's the hard part tink has been really difficult because of the ways in which she she's so as much as she is a large character in the mm-hmm. story there's still so little said about yeah, her you don't get a lot no. you get some of her internal <coughs> stuff um okay so i have responses to each of those points because i have all of those quotes supporting her as a three. Oh, Every interesting single one of them <laughs> um so you're wrong because okay. uh i am a four and i will tell you no although i like your argument about her apartment because i yeah. do but what i saw mm-hmm. was not that it was unique but it was the very best of the best mm-hmm. of the best mm-hmm. and the language used there specifically in that quotation the things described were very commonly spoken of in sitting rooms in the victorian era mm-hmm. those were the things you wanted to have and it was very much your worth and image were seen in mm-hmm. having those things be mm-hmm. the very best and she a three wants to be the most successful the very best in the room seen as well Mm -hmm. and so her apartment is the very best version that it could possibly be that perfect studio apartment Mm -hmm. right and it's the best even within the lost boys home Mm -hmm. but also so it could be envied by the lost boys and then envied by any woman large or small Mm -hmm. who would see it they would want what she has yeah so it's that like 
yes, envy is the space of a four, but it's envy of others, not wanting people to be envious of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, additionally, I think the one big, big emotion. Yes, I had that thought when I read that, but it really bothered me to limit it because she was a fairy. Mm. So then I like stepped beyond that. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, so what would that look like? I'm like, no, a four, we have depths. Yeah. We have every emotion under the surface at the same time that we are aware of and feeling and experiencing. Mm -hmm. And yes, maybe it is a unique thing of a fairy, but I saw that as like the unhealthy space of a three and or not unhealthy space, just threes not being super aware of their emotions. And then Mm. one bubbles over the top and then they have it yeah, and they have to look at it and it's who they are at the moment. And then it's gone because they have to go be successful and do the next thing. Mm. Not unlike a seven actually. It's interesting though, because she doesn't let go of it. No, it's true. And that's one of the reasons why I, I, she wanted to like revel in it as a forward. Yeah. I see that. Well, and that, and also with her connection to Peter and the fact that the emotion is related to, to Wendy stepping into this space Mm -hmm. is very much that one-to-one subtype for, Mm -hmm. um, for a four where, um, there's this, this competition that happens that other fours don't because they're a little bit more like eights in that one-to-one mm-hmm. when there's someone in who's someone who's sweeping into that one-on-one relationship that they have. Um, it's um, possibly, I do see that, but I, I know in order to make this argument, you're going to have to explain subtypes to our true. dear listeners, which I'm here for. Yeah. But, um, I still, I'm not convinced. That's fair. And it's one of those things that I I don't see three. I would more readily land with you on eight instead mm-hmm. of three because of so, she's not, she's not succeeding. Right. But she, okay. So let me give you my argument for that because I have that. Um, so most especially, like, I think the thing that you see that, is eight-ish is her interactions with Wendy, mm-hmm. what you were talking about. Um, but one of the things that just like shone at me when I read it uh-huh. that made me think three actually is she, it says the jealous fairy had now cast off all disguise of friendship and was darting at her victim from every direction, pinching savagely every time she touched. Mm. But I just saw like taking off the mask. Yeah. Like this mask she was wearing mm-hmm. in front of Peter to be the best in his eyes. Interesting. So there are arguments against this because it is like threes wanting to succeed in every room with yeah. every person. But when, the um, the relationship that matters the most to her is being undermined and Wendy is now becoming the most successful the most important person in the wor- in the room mm-hmm. especially the only other female mm-hmm. and it's this competition that she feels like Wendy is putting into place yeah. in my perception she takes off the mask and when Peter's not looking uh-huh. goes after her because she still wants to be the greatest. And when she has failed, when a three fails mm-hmm. and her failures are seen or pointed out, mm-hmm. it like beware. Yeah. <laughs> because that's when it's like, oh, I'm in this unhealthy space. I want to fix it. I still need to be the best. Yeah. Um, I think it's a weak argument, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's painting with a broad brush yeah. and with an unkind brush. That's what threes might be. Um. And again, as you said, we don't have enough of Tink. Mm -hmm. But I just think it was so much that like driven by 
action, especially mm-hmm. in By Success. And like there's an early point where Peter sa- says the only thing fairies can't do is turn out their light. And Tink immediately pinches him. Like, how dare you point out my failures? Yeah. Like, how dare you point out what I can't do? Uh-huh. Or it could be eight yeah. saying, no, you can't control me. You don't know what I can do. I yeah. pinch you. You know, so I saw both of those, but I lean toward three, even in those big responses that it's mm. like, I am no longer the best person in the room. Mm-hmm. This is scary. I need to be because I'm only loved for what I do and succeeding. Hmm. And now I'm no longer succeeding. So here we go. Turn this over. Get rid of the thing that's undermining me. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I'm having a hard time with, with the three space still. Although... Oh, the joy of being a nine. I can argue her drinking the poison coming mm-hmm. from going to six mm-hmm. as a three. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it's action. It's, yeah. That quote says that there wasn't time to talk, so she just had to do something is yeah. what it says. It was just time so for deeds. Just deeds. No words. Yes. <laughs> but that also made it sound as if that's not her usual response, yeah, which it fair. isn't her usual response. It's her... Her except, usual response is, you silly ass. Except when we first meet her. It's true. It's in, like, we see her action mm-hmm. before we even know who she is. True. In the time that we were talking about doing something, she accomplished it. Yes. Well, sort of. Well, also, you know, the flight helps. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> I wish I could be a fairy. For my whole life, I've wanted to be a fairy. It would be pretty fantastic. Okay. So, uh... At us with that, folks. I would love to hear what you think about Tinkerbell. Yeah. Uh, if you completely disagree, you don't think she's a three or a four, mm-hmm. like maybe an eight. Like I kind of sort of argued for that, too, because uh-huh. I couldn't stick my heels in yeah. to anything. <laughs> she's a really hard character, uh, but it's really fun to think about where are those motivations coming from? What is making her act the way that she does? Um, Definitely. I just think it's helpful. So I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that said... Let's look at a very intriguing character, Janelle. What did you say about Captain James Hook, otherwise uh, known as Jass Hook? As which he signs himself. He prefers. Yes. So let us give him his honorific. Okay. Well, for Captain Hook, um, I said that he was a one. Interesting. And I would like to... If you don't mind, I'm going to give both my my primary and my backup um, initially for why I say this. Okay. Just to to show some of the depth I found for for Captain Jess Hook. <laughs> but above all, he retained the passion for good form. Mm-hmm. Good form, however much he may have degenerated he still knew that this is all that really matters it's even after he's kidnapped children that he's sitting there berating himself for whether or not he has acted in good form Mm -hmm. there's this and the text actually states Something that sounds a whole heck of a lot like an inner critic. Constantly reminding him and pointing out to him the ways in which he has not been 
in good form. Mm -hmm. And that to me just echoes of that one's critical chorus in their in their minds, constantly aware of what's not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things, though, for Captain Hook, for a variety of reasons, is I'd argue he's not the most healthy of ones. He's not the most healthy of anything. No, he's really not. <laughs> but the thing that my my backup for him as a one is this space. The two pirates were very curious to know what had brought their captain to them. But he sat with his head on his hook in a position of pro- profound melancholy. Captain, is all well? They asked timidly. But he answered with a hollow moan. He sighs, said Smee. He sighs again, said Starkey. And yet a third time, he sighs, said Smee. What's up, Captain? Then, at lo- at last, he spoke passionately. The game's up, he cried. The boys have found a mother. And for me, this just speaks to this dress space for ones where they go to four and he's sitting in this melancholy space of feelings and the difficulty of his plans not going well mm-hmm. and the fact that his subordinates even his bosun Smee recognizes it as it being something out of the ordinary for him um so yeah, that's that's my primary and and secondary support for Captain Hook as a one. Mm-hmm. Becky, would you care to uh, step that, in? Yes, I would. Uh, that's really convincing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really struggled with Hook. Mm-hmm. He is just—I mean—he's such an intriguing character. Oh goodness, yes. Um, I will not go into all of my thoughts on Hook, uh, but I really can because. I find him so interesting. Yeah. Um, especially as what I sort of referred to earlier. I think before I jump into my typing of him, um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of what I was saying with Wendy mm-hmm. is we have the adult in Neverland who wishes he had had the chance to have a childhood. Mm-hmm. So he covets, nay, desires childhood Mm -hmm. and sometimes when you nostalgic when you are nostalgic for something you didn't have it can turn into this really nefarious sort of desire Mm -hmm. where you desire to possess it yes to control it to nay penetrate it oh goodness as captain hook does that many have argued before me and there are lots of hints and tropes to this sort of sexual desire that Hook has for Peter. I'm not going to get into that. It's very controversial. Come at me. I have offended you. I am sorry. But but along with that, though, I think what, what most of that is, is this confused form of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have, not unlike Wendy, you have these expectations on men of what it is to be a man. And he is trying so hard to fulfill those. But you see all of these moments, like the one you just described, where he goes into this place of feminine melancholy. He mm-hmm. is he is called, like, so that quote you have is one of mine. Um, but it goes on very interestingly. It says that at last he spoke passionately. The game is up, he cried. 
Those boys have found a mother. And then a little further on, it says he brushed away this weakness with his hook. Mm. So he's crying and then he's described as speaking passionately, which is a word that was used to describe women. Mm -hmm. And then it even says he's sad because they have found a mother, Mm. that feminine figure. And then um, he brushed away this weakness, got rid of the feminine weakness with his hook. This the thing that makes him look the most fierce, the most manly, the most masculine Mm -hmm. as he's filling these roles. So I say all that to say, just like twos are seen as that feminine type, I saw him as an eight Mm. because that is the like sort of masculine expectation that like fighting like big bad I protect the world or I attack the world so it doesn't control me element that Mm. toxic masculinity. And so my main I continued your quote there, but my main support happens just in his description mm-hmm. um in person he was cadaverous and black and his hair was dressed in long curls a singularly threatening expression to his handsome countenance his eyes were of blue the blue of forget-me-not and of a profound melancholy so what i saw that as like the beginning you have he's putting on this like stereotyped expectation of what a pirate looks like he is dark he has his countenance the face he's making is that like grr i am a tough tough pirate but you see his eyes are blue delicate forget me not and melancholy it's like he's covering up so he's not controlled by what society thinks Mm. as weakness Mm -hmm. as feminine weakness so he's always like he's like i'm gonna fight you i'm the biggest baddest pirate How dare you see me as weak? You will not see me as weak. You will not uh, hang me for being gay as he would have been. Mm -hmm. Like I just saw that as overcoming a lot of those societal expectations. Mm. Um, But additionally, along your quote, like, because those are spaces when I first read them, I was like, wow, that's very Mm four-ish because I did the same thing. And that's why I said your one going to four is really convincing. But what I saw those as... Eights are only vulnerable with a select few trusted people. Hmm. And his select person is Smee and sometimes Starkey. Mm-hmm. That he, he, there are a few times, but especially Smee. He even shares his greatest fear, which is the fear of death. Mm-hmm. Talk about that, like wanting to be a child and go to forever childhood. That adult fear of death, the ticking crocodile is this symbol of death coming for him. And he shares that only with Smee. Everyone else, you know, he... Uh, is tough and bad, even though he runs away like a little baby and hides. Um, but I just saw that as like sharing his weakness with someone he trusted. Oh, interesting. Additionally, when that happens, he's on his own and he's being overheard yes. by them. So it's like that vulnerable space that he doesn't want other people to see. Now they've seen it. Hmm. Um, but th- there are things that are complicated by that. Like I think... Oh, am I going to go into this? Yeah, I I am. Um, (laughs) In that description I read, it -hmm. describes him as black avised, having a visage that is black, meaning he is dark skinned Mm -hmm. in a culture where having dark skin meant you were a colonized person, Mm -hmm. someone who had been conquered. And so here he is having been taken control of at least his race, his culture of some sort, being in England as that person, even though he went to Eton, a very 
um, prestigious school where all the best people go to, which, by the way, all the boys there were uh, being boys. Um, they it's still him escaping that control to control. That's why he's conquering Neverland. He's mm. controlling spaces where he was controlled. I just saw that as eight space. And I think as the way that like when we talk about our Enneagram personalities, they're really like a cover story, right? Mm -hmm. They're a cover up for what we're trying to hide from the world, Mm -hmm. that vulnerability in an eight. You're trying to hide your vulnerability and Mm -hmm. overcome that. Um, So that's my argument. There's a lot, there's a lot of texture to hook, which makes him hard to type because I see the like trouble with masculinity, the trouble with sexuality, the trouble with race and culture and class, especially looking at he always makes himself the best person in the room. He feels so alone Mm -hmm. because and I see that as like for space even, but he is alone and made himself like he is the highest class person there. So he's not controlled by people of a higher status than him, Interesting, which he has been if he is indeed a colonized person. So colonialism take part in this, sexuality take part in this, masculinity (laughs) take part in Hook. Like, it's just so hard for me to type him, but I find it so interesting to try because I see all of that in him. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I can can see some of the the eight-ish points because I wondered about Mm eight-ishness too. There's just... um, even in the very first person the narrator allows Hook to kill in front of the the reading audience, the reason Hook lashes out at him is because, and I quote, Skylights lurches clumsily against him, ruffling his lace collar. And it's just... It's because Hook desired him. So he was being controlled by that desire. So he attacked that is like I just saw that as that space. Oh, though. interesting. Like see, I can I see saw you it see the... as the the ultimate in a one's critic lashing out. Yeah. Whereas I just saw it's him overcoming his desire that he's not allowed to have, and it's his vulnerability. Mm. It's the thing that can control him. That if people knew about it, mm-hmm. they would use it to destroy him. So he must destroy them first. So he saw the light hit his rough. He desired him. So got to kill him is what I saw. Like it's so closely tied to all of that. Mm -hmm. And I know it's controversial listeners. I know (laughs) if you haven't looked at this closely before from a cultural context, it's new. (laughs) Um, Let me tell you that when I had the class that I took where we did this at Trinity in Ireland, like we were all, you know, clutching our pearls and how dare you sully my beautiful childhood story Mm -hmm. but I don't think it sullies it like I don't at all like Mm -hmm. I think just seeing that he has this desire in him and that it would control him and he doesn't want it to and doesn't want others to control him so it is the beauty it's Mm -hmm. I think that if he was not in the culture he was in he would absolutely be a four Mm, interesting like that he would be allowed to have all of those emotions yeah because it's that stereotyped box of a man. He has to be an eight. He has to act like an eight. That might not be who he actually is. So you mm. might have a point there, right? Yeah. Like it could, he, maybe he is a four, but acting like an eight yeah. as his cover story. 
for that four space. There's just too many references to to the inner yeah, voice the or good to form. his the good yeah. form and the inner voice which he his named or nicknamed or whatever. Don't desert me, bully. When he feels his ego slipping mm-hmm. away from him, that I feel there's just enough oneness there yeah. to, for me at least, it's, to push him over. Okay. I also see that, uh, of course. Although this is debatable, too, about whether or not your personality comes from from your innate space or from your circumstances mm-hmm. in childhood. It's from Eaton. It's exactly. the voice of Eaton. The good form voices come from, from his Etonian schooling. Mm-hmm. However, in, in some of the ways ones have described their voices, mm-hmm. it's there's... The inner critic that we all experience, and then there's a chorus of inner critics that are other people from mm. their life. Oh, that's a great point. And so that's one yeah. of the reasons. And we we only really get to hear about the good form that came from Eaton. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if Hook has a bunch of other inner voices, and that's mm-hmm. the hard part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's why I, I landed on one, and yeah. I'm going to stick to my guns there. Yeah. No, do. Um He's just such a complicated character. I think I'll end it there. I I just see those Etonian voices differently. Yeah. Um, because of it's forced upon you, the good form, and so some of that is just trauma mm-hmm. response. Um, and any and like traumatized human, one of the reasons get Peter beaten for that. Yeah, well, for not having good form at Eden. Mm-hmm. And any person with trauma. Every person with trauma is going to be difficult mm-hmm. to type because and their coping mechanisms are going to be different. And that's both Peter and Hook. Exactly. Are coming from a place of trauma. Mm-hmm. Both of them immense trauma. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, smash the patriarchy at the end. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. The uh, These characters. We only chose four. And yet, oh my goodness, these four. There's just so much there. Yeah. Um. In addition to to looking at the characters, I think for me, reading through Peter Pan now um, was one of the things that stood out to me that um, is both Enneagram related and isn't, or I, I should say affected the way in which I typed these characters for, for doing this. It was that narrator. Mm-hmm. You were talking earlier about death of the author yeah. and how how much of a stamp there is of J.M. Barry, mm-hmm. And part of that is that narrative voice. Oh, that's where it is. Yeah. <laughs> the. It's interesting because it's not. It can't be Mm-mm. because of death of the author and mm-hmm. interpreting the text as just its own entity. That can't be Barry. Mm hmm. But there are so many critical commentaries from the narrator. Goodness, yes. That impact the way you see these characters. Mm -hmm. That impact the way you interact with them. That invite you into the space to play a game Mm -hmm. on Mrs. Darling. Mm -hmm. To count. Exactly. To Mm -hmm. clap. To clap, to count. Well, mind you, something we maybe should have talked about. This was originally a play. That's true. And the narrator voice is different in this because of the fact that it is 
you're not turning what was on the stage a stage production into a novel yeah and that impacts it mm-hmm. immensely mm-hmm. but again uh, there's uh, even direct like stage language in some of the mm-hmm. stage direction for the way in which people are moving around particularly mm-hmm. in the nursery yeah yeah i yeah i think whether you sit in a place of caring about authorial intent or you sit in a place of death of the author, what is this narrator even doing, saying, being, experiencing? Mm-hmm. I think it's so crunchy. Like, yes. just what is the point of this, like, intrusion so often? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think much of it is trying to be the voice of a child watching yes because and again obviously in this text i come from a place of authorial intent Mm -hmm. because what jm barry really wanted to do was capture those like childhood imaginative spaces and give them to adults that had not gotten them yeah much like hook Mm -hmm. so this idea of like clap if you believe in fairies you must believe and like all of the things about how fairies are formed and about, oh, do you want to hear the story? Well, maybe I'll tell you this story about Peter's adventure or maybe I'll tell you this one or this one or this one. Which one do you want to hear? I've decided it's going to be this yeah. one. I flipped a coin, but now I wish it'd been something different. Yeah, yeah, much like a child. So you feel that like childish glee and joy mm-hmm. and like lack of attention yeah. <laughs> even. And then like, to make the deaths less scary. Mm-hmm. You have a character counting the innocent lives lost yes. with you and also bringing an awareness of the realities of darkness in the world. Yeah. Um, and like I said, pointing out some of those like masculine, feminine, societal expectation tropes that are on adults, mm-hmm. but putting them on kids to point them out yes. is I think what the narrator is doing. Cause it's the narrator that often points them out explicitly. Oh, certainly like, Look at Wendy. Wasn't she brave? Yeah. Like that is the narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, or even the different times that we don't want to tell tale on Wendy or on yeah. Toodles or whomever. Yeah. But we're still going to tell you this thing. Or judging Tink. Yes. For, you know, when she's like Toodle, the narrator says Toodles beware. She just wants a tool. Yeah. Like, how do you know, narrator? Mm-hmm. You don't know her. Yeah. I mean, I guess you do. But <laughs> let's not get into narratology as a whole. That'll take another hour oh but we could uh, i would love to <laughs> okay um yeah this is just like this book i thought it would be hilariously because i've studied it before uh-huh and i knew how complex it was i thought it would be easy <laughs> <laughs> to like look at these characters and i mean it was sure fun yes but oh gosh it it just opened my brain to so many more things that I saw in the text, Mm. even than I just looking at it from a critical theory, literary perspective, seeing it through the Enneagram. It just blew up my conception of the Enneagram and of literary study and this text. Like my mind is kind of blown. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Definitely. All right. Well, unless you have further thoughts on the text, I will join uh and join our listeners to join us next time as we become seniors at Rydell High. Grease is the word, folks. Yeah, it is. 
thank you for listening. We're a little over halfway through our first season of Type This Cast. And we're really looking forward to the next few stories uh, that we're going to look at. I can't wait for you to join us as we sort of close up this season, this first season of Type This Cast. Exactly. And we have lots of fun plans for the next season. Yeah, we do. So excited. We'd like to say a big thank you to Matthew Ziganis for the use of his song Overflow for our intro and outro music. Check out some of his other songs and albums on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and any other music streaming or purchasing location. Yeah, check them out, guys. Definitely. And we'd also like to say a special thank you to our sound wizard, Joel Miller. Uh, And... Please, please, please find us on social media. We're on Twitter at Type This Cast. We're on Instagram at Type This Cast. And please email us your thoughts uh, at typethiscast at gmail.com to continue the conversation. And we have started this really fun thing that we want all of you to join us in. Uh, look for your chance to type the cast that we're doing with our Peter Pan poll. We also had a Winnie the Pooh poll go out and a Pride and Prejudice poll. We've posted links on Instagram but we will and twitter but we'll also have them in the show notes for every episode Mm -hmm. Uh, so just please click that let us know what you think we'd love to catch up to see what people's opinions of these characters are yeah if you agree with us or disagree with us or have just a completely different idea uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts definitely and if you like what you're hearing please go rate and review type this cast on itunes or anywhere you happen to listen and let us know what you think Yeah, that really helps people find us. So please, please, please uh, give us a review. Let us know your thoughts. Um, But until next time where we look at Greece, in the ineffable words of Neil Gaiman, trust dreams, trust your heart, and trust your stories.